But we get started, so let's go. Let's get our hurling panel up. Please welcome to the stage Anthony Daly and Brendan Cummins. We need to, we're going to give the next, how long have we? Half an hour talking about uh, how to bray one day Ireland, so. <laughs> we'll get to that, we'll get to that. It's a little bit more north in the Shannon than you guys are used to. It's a, you don't normally get a hurling panel when we come up to Roscommon. No, I suppose we, we don't know, but I suppose the, uh, they're mad enough and up around this neck of the woods to embrace <laughs> hurling as well, it's going to be here. But uh, yeah, it is, it's, look, there's no doubt, and I think it's, it's a chat, that Hurland needs to get a broader church. Um, we certainly have the Christy Ring, the Joe, uh, the Joe McDonough, um, Nicky Rackard, all those competitions. And while we do see Tipperary and Kilkenny's and all the elite teams playing in the, in the All-Ireland series, um, GA Gold decided they were going to highlight the Joe McDonough Cup, which is great. But because I'm my involvement, I suppose, with Kerry, it's kind of close to my heart, that other tier of teams to make yeah. sure they're kept healthy. And um, so far, the GPA and fairness are doing a huge amount of work to progress, I suppose, the status of, of teams in that by helping through a coach inside and, and showing them the benefits that they can get. Because Shamie Callan um, and Shane Conway, who's the Kerry star players entitled the same benefits as Shamie Callan is, it's just a matter of telling them that those supports are there for him, you know. So there is huge work being done under, but I think it's really important to make sure that Hurling is healthy across all of the counties involved. Yeah, yeah I've, I've had an experience uh, with Roscommon Hurling, uh, Mick. The last time I was in the Hudson Bay was at Ali Baker's wedding here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just after the meal, as you do, maybe a few of the lads might say, we'll go to the bar for one of you. And uh, Francie Grehan, the great Francie Grehan, uh, made his way over and they were mates. Ali was stationed up in, in Athlone and Bellinasloe and various places up around here. So Francie said, would you come to our Hurland pub, lads? And he captured myself and Fergie Toohey and Sean McMahon. Sean, he'd be the safest of the three of us now, I'd have to say. <laughs> and he drove the 20 odd miles to Four Roads. <laughs> Never telling uh, our current lady friends at the time. I think I was married. And we got back about half one in the highest van. <laughs> Jesus, I tell you, we got some reception. We came back from Four Roads. But Simon gave us a good night in Four Roads as well. Frenzy rang ahead. I'll tell you, we, we great crack. Uh, so that was an experience, all right, Roscommon Hurling. That's Roscommon Hurling, yeah, exactly. Um, it's funny, both of you, like, uh, you, you obviously um, had time in Kerry as well, and you've been involved with them. Like, there are pockets of hurling almost in every county. Kerry might be a little bit stronger, but, you know, Dominic's are uh, one of the, a, a true GEA club. They go out in all codes. And, like, it's so difficult to grow out of those pockets into county-wide, isn't it? Yeah, it is, I suppose, and... and Kerry would be my main experience there, Mick, you know, um, and Brenda would have a fair idea of the scene there now as well, you know. But unbelievable passion for hurling there, like Causeway won their first championship there last week uh, since 1998, and the scenes at the final whistle, I think Buff Egan had him, <laughs> captured him, he was there, oh Jesus, <laughs> they're gone mad. But just to see what it meant to them, you know, and I, I would have been with Kilmiley and uh, Causeway would have been affectionately known as Ibrox in Kilmiley. <laughs> it would have been no love lost. <laughs> affectionately, <laughs> where, we, where, yeah. we, where are we playing them, lads? Uh, Ibrox. <laughs> but uh, no, sure, look at uh, that's the biggest issue with Kerry is trying to spread it a bit. And in fairness, Tralee Purnell's 
uh, started a hurling club there about four or five years ago, and they're doing tremendous work now. They're, they're competing in the minor A championship, I think, this 2019 for the first time, which is fantastic. And if they can get senior hurling back into Tralee, that would be a huge step for Kerry to be maybe getting three county players out of the town at Tralee, which you're not getting at the moment. And uh, it is difficult when there's only pockets. I think there's counties where hurling and football is in the balance and I know we have a football panel down there as well which you know it's probably not in the balance in Kerry let's face it you know that's the reality of it but like definitely in Leash it's in the balance in Carlow it's in the balance in Westmead it's probably in the balance you know uh, and and you know there's probably one or two more that it's really could go either way you see the buzz in Leash this year you know getting to the you know beating Dublin and getting to that quarter final against Tip winning Joe McDonough Antrim certainly hurling would be the dominant, you know, it's, it's, so it's about getting those few counties, I think, Mick, if we could get them up that notch and competitive, like obviously Dublin had a big sting at the end of the year after knocking out Galway, you know, uh, but like Dublin I think would be okay, the standard is, is increasing I think all, all the time there, so I think that's the challenge for the hurling people of the J. Yeah, how difficult is that, Brendan, where, like, especially you look at Roscommon, like a a county, Tipperary, kind of the same at stages with, you know, if we got a little bit more investment or a little bit more uh, attention paid to one of the codes, you know, we could really make a breakthrough here. But then at the same point, you have to try and balance that. So with Roscommon, like if they're trying to develop hurling in the county, but at the same time, they're like just below an All-Ireland semi-final in the football. Is, is that something you've experienced throughout your career? You were a football player as well. Yeah, well, I suppose you are pulling out the same pool of players in the clubs and like obviously in, in Roscommon and Dominic's here will, will have their rivals and all. So your question is, do we not train for two weeks and take out the hurlies? Or do we train like lunatics to beat the life out of the football team that for since Adam was a boy that we were always trying to beat the life out of him? So there's always that pull and drag between the club. I even see it in our own club in, in Arfinan. Like we, we recently went down to play uh, Lismore in an under-12 challenge match. Now they bit the living bejesus out of us, right? My boys didn't know what was going on, right? There was young fellas head spinning going, whoa, are you sure it was under-12 and under-14 lads were playing here? But when I spoke to them afterwards, I said, lads, you're flying. What's the story? Number one, no Football, right? Uh, we play at the odd time. We might put a team in the under 13 this year just to keep everybody happy. And your man was roaring, laughing at the good of this, right? The second thing is inside in the school, there was a principal, Prendergast, who's, um, who's trained the boys at half eight at the quarter past nine, three mornings a week. They bring the hurlies, right? They practice at lunchtime. And if you can't play hurling at lunchtime, you go behind the goals, you throw the ball back to the lads who can't play hurling. So that's your, <laughs> that's your PE, like, <laughs> right? So, like, if you take it in the schools, that's the starting point, you know? And in our schools, then, we struggle to get, get coaches in, football or hurling into the schools. And we're light years behind the club that have people in the schools. So your first starting point is somebody strong in the schools. And I'm sure if I spoke to the St. Dominic's people around here, they'd say, well, oh, yeah, that father, whatever, or brother, whatever, or that principal in that school is really good. And you'll see it then, the knock-on effect for years further on down the line, that that club will start winning. So that initial investment into the schools is the key. Then you look, obviously, into the club itself. But the breeding ground really is, the, I would say, the school system. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we, we had a primary teacher. He's still alive. He's in a nursing home with my mother and my uncle, actually. And he's still with it now. He's on a wheelchair. But uh, John Henley... He was one of the kind of founder members of the coaching courses in Garmanstown years ago when they used to twin a strong county, by the way, Clare at the time. I don't know how we qualified for that now, kid. But uh, you're about the football now. We were twinned with a weaker county like Tip. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, but the coaches would, would mix up with it. And uh, Hanley was one of the main guys there. And I often said that the two All Ireland medals we have, I could nearly give him one. Because, like that, we feel, like, I felt sorry for the few lads that had no interest in the hurling, to be honest. 
because they were left inside and we were out hurling like you know as soon as the the weather would in any way be fine out you know and uh it's just it we are trying to do it again i have to say the club members are going in voluntary the teachers are probably not as interested in doing it as he was he's he was a diehard he had hurled with us uh so the club are kind of have a rotation system now where the lads go in you might have to do two sessions a month and lads are on a rota that way, and they're getting in and getting a bit of coaching. And we are getting a bit of joy at underage level. Still struggling to stay senior. We managed it again last week. We were doing Houdini in it every year there for about the last five years. But uh, we did it again last week. And we have a couple of good minors now coming. We declare minor captain for this year, but obviously he wasn't allowed to play um, this year. But he'll be allowed to play next year in a couple of those. So, yeah, hopefully we can get back there. But that's, that's, that's it. Look at it. If you neglect underage, you're goosed. That's the bottom line. And we, we were winning championships from... From 86 to 205, we were nearly the favourites every year, or in the top two mm. favourites, and underage got neglected. There's no doubt about it. It's going to keep happening. We're, we're sexy, and we, we, you know, it's a bit like Clare. Mm. Like Clare won minor and senior All-Ireland in 97, and the county board thought, that'll do now, Asher. there would be no problem. There's no problem with coaching and getting into schools and that. And so we, we didn't see another good day till Thursday. But it's, I think it's also really difficult. We say it's a, it's a volunteer organisation, right? It's easy to talk about Tiberi's and the Clare's, the elite level. But on the grassroots side, you are relying on somebody who's working from maybe 7 o'clock or till 6 o'clock on a shift to then go out and say, I'm going to train, what, 15 or 20 under 6s or 8s or 12s and give up their time to do it. And I think we're living in a world that's moving at a faster pace. So I know in our club... There's probably six or seven lads you could rely on. But after that, then, like, do you know what I mean? You, you, you're again trying to spread the base of volunteers to come back in. So we have a kind of a buns and biscuits kind of a campaign going on to try to keep the mammies and some of the daddies on board for training and all that. But you'll try anything just to keep the thing alive. And as I said, the world is moving at a fast pace. So people giving their time for maybe three or four hours a week is a little bit trickier than it was 15, 20 years ago. And it's probably a lot easier to get them then when, you know, you've got that tradition or that promise of this guy could go on and be a hurler, this guy, you know, he could go and play for tip or whatever, then it might be in a place that doesn't have that tradition and doesn't have the whole town behind it. Yeah, it is. A, a, there was only a picture recently on Twitter where um, uh, Niall O'Mara brought the cup back to his, uh, his, his school or whatever. And aside in the, 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 the picture, it showed Bogey O'Mara, Brendan Maher and a little Jake Morris standing down the front. And it's gas, like, nine years later, Jake Morris wins an under-20 All-Ireland and wins a senior All-Ireland, you know, and it's mad stuff. Like, so it's great for us and tip, certainly, that we can walk over and touch our heroes, you know. And I would contrast that maybe to, to Watford, who are trying to make a breakthrough. The Lee McCarthy Cup has been a long, long time since it went down there. So it's very, very difficult. And that, will tell you, like, in Clare, it infused a generation of hurlers to, to go and try to achieve something watching him playing because they got to touch the cup and all. And then they won it in 13, so that gets you another bit of momentum. Limerick have their, the, 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 I suppose, the, the tailwind behind them now because a generation of kids will see the Lee McCarthy. So it is really difficult. I think that's why, too, for clubs like in Roscommon and Sligo and all the other counties around, I think it's important that we get some of those players up to do coaching sessions, to be honest with you. I think during the summer they're all working in college. I think it's really, really important if Shamie Callan come up here to this club, for example, and come up with Podge Collins, do you know what I mean? Or whoever, like Keen Lynch. All these guys you see on the television, the youngsters here go, Geez, actually, if you saw Keen Lynch, a, a youngster here would say, he's not much taller than I am, and he looks like a giant. Do you know, so you get to relate to them and see their normal human beings, how much they train and how much dedication they have. So I think it's a, in our game, it's really important 
important that you can touch your heroes. So it's no harm, I think, to cross that across the whole hurling community. And if there was anything no, I could do with that. I pull strokes as well. Like if, I, if I know Ken McGrath is up for the Sunday game now, obviously with the Munster Championship now, we've two matches in Ennis every year. And you know, if I know Ken McGrath is on the panel that day, I'd say, hey, what time are you up? <laughs> and I I tell the under sixteen manager, the under fourteen manager, get Kim McGrath in for a session, you know. Yeah. I say, or do a log, or you try and, and swing anything you could if you heard there was someone in town, you know. You speak of photos there as well, the Shamey Callanan one where he uh, built a trophy cabinet for his Woodworth project for the Dean McCarthy. That was brilliant. Talk to us a little bit about Liam Sheedy because if you're looking for an inspirational figure, there's one right there. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing actually. When um, like I was uh, obviously a shrub in two thousand and seven when Liam took over, and my first uh, experience of Liam was I was low now, really low. You dropped. This was I, after Babs dropped them, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As I always say, when a manager comes to the start of the year and says, "Brendan, what size are you in a tracksuit?" <laughs> you you kind of know then what's facing you for the rest of the season. But what you got? So we'd been beaten by Wexford, and we we're all fairly low. And uh, I remember being a queue in Supermax in Houston Station and Liam was actually standing in front of me. So not knowing anything now that could happen further down the road, you know, I, I kind of leaned over to him, grasped my straw, said, are you ready to come in on your white horse? And he said, keep your head down, your mouth shut, it'll all be all right. So I heard Liam Sheedy then was manager. <laughs> and after a few days of partying that, my God, thank God, uh, he's in. I had my first one-to-one -one with him. And I remember him telling me, there's no guarantee you'll be on this team now, Brendan, he said. And uh, that's just the way it is. And I remember thinking, okay, that's a good reality check there now. And uh, on the three years that he was with us in TIP, I can safely say I didn't really know Liam. I wasn't really friends with Liam. I had great respect for him. I knew what he was trying to do. He motivated me. He'd, he'd, like, I missed a gym session. Um, my first gym session I missed so when I came back. I was caught with work. I got a phone call that night. Pam is in the audience here. She took the call. And uh, Pam said, uh, he's not here. I know he's here, Pam. Put me on to him. <laughs> he's there, you know. And what happened was he had a guy actually going around watching the gym sessions. I wasn't in the Manila. He said, you owe me a gym session. And we were training the following night. We trained again then on the Wednesday. Oh, I had the gym session on the Wednesday night. I walked into the middle and who was sitting on the weights machine? Only Liam. He was there. He said, I'm here to watch you do the session. He said, don't ever again. He said, miss one of these. And I said, okay. And that was warning shot right between the eyes. So he's a huge motivator. He trusts his players. He does one-to-ones every month. And when you're in the one-to-one -one and the dietitian and the strength and condition coach are there, you're dead. Because, <laughs> because your body's the wrong shape, size, there's something going on here. Um, but he is, but he, yeah, that's, the, that's the strength I think that he has, is that he trusts his players. He says, this is what I want you to do. He'll give you all the skills to do it. He'll give you all the supports to make you do it. And if it's not working, he'll get feedback from you and try to help you again. And if that doesn't work, then somebody else comes in to do the job. But he's, but that's, he's that's, been massive. That's modern day man management, isn't it? It's not like we listened to a rant from a fella on another channel or whatever, and I was listening to him on the way up the road there, you know, he's a great ex-Irish soccer player anyway, I wouldn't have any great time for him after Saipan, but, <laughs> well, like, he, he obviously couldn't deal with guys, you know what I mean, like, I mean, Walters is a professional, he mightn't have been as good a professional as Keane, but he's obviously told by his club, you can do a certain amount, you've only a certain amount left in your career with those knees, and your man says, why aren't you training? So, I mean, so that's, that's, that's complete archaic stuff, like, you know, I mean, I'm only involved with a club stuff now, but if a lad like, you know, you, I've Ryan O'Dwyer now and I've Niall Corcoran, and they're moving on, Niall Corcoran, great shape now. But like, I, I take off Niall every challenge match 35 minutes in and say, you have enough. And he wants to play on, like, because he's that kind of guy. 
I said you've enough. And that's it. And, and you, you you have to stop him from training at times. And I, I, I think guys have to move with the times as well that way. I do, yeah. And we had, we had Lara Corbett, obviously, who was like, he's practically horizontal while he's half asleep going around the place. All you put him into a match, right? So like while all this stuff was going on with me with gyms and not going to gyms, and I thought I was OCD about preparation, we were training one night. And, and everybody would be training, training half seven. Everyone would be there, togged on the pitch at 20 to seven, hitting balls around practice and doing their thing, right? So about... 28, any arise on, Larry comes out onto the pitch, you know, late as late could be like. So what actually happened was that Larry arrived into the dressing room, Liam was there, where were you? I fell asleep in the sofa, Liam, I'm sorry. <laughs> At least <he> honest. <laughs> no, right. At least he's honest. And Liam said, Jesus, Larry, you're killing me. Get out, will you, for God's sake. Now, if that was anybody else, it could be P45 time. But he knew how to handle Larry. He knew how to handle me. He knew how to handle every single individual. And that was the key, like, you know. Yeah. Treat people as individuals, like, yeah. And like, that's, you know, we're going to book, you were missing a gym session, like, in the good old days where you were allowed to sign into the gym. And there was no one really supervising you. You got something to do and then do 10 reps of that, do 10 reps of that. Then, then you were checked again a month later. Like, and I played with a great player. The boys will remember him, but some of the younger people won't. But as a neighbour of mine, and he, he never really uh, wanted to train at all, but he was a great corner forward, Jared Sparrow Lachlan. He was gifted, gifted guy. But the Sparrow used to sign into the West County and go in to the shallow end of the pool because he was afraid of the deep end. And he'd do, you'd only want to put armbands on him now going into the shallow end. And he'd do about six, seven widths of the pool. And then he'd go into the sauna and have a jacuzzi and go home. But uh, the boys, the younger boys were coming along then, the Brian Lohans and the Jamesies and these guys, they'd come from the college set up really, you know, between UCG and UL and that. And they were getting big into their weights and I was the captain. So I kind of felt, I wasn't really into it either now, but I felt I had to be seen to be doing that sort of stuff. But uh there was one famous night Sparrow came across the pool anyway and the gym was looking over the pool in the West County Hotel and he came across and he looked in and the boys are bench pressing in trees with Fergal Hegarty, uh, Brian and, and Jamesy and Lohan goes into the pool to Sparrow, bangs on the window of the thing and he, he looks out like he'd have no, no he, was play, he was hurling long before these fellas when they were playing under 14 like you know and uh, Lohan goes hi and Sparrow up out of the water goes he just had it in the wrist. <laughs> he didn't need to try that shite. <laughs> and Lohan tells it against himself. He just went, I know. <laughs> and he won two All-Irelands. Um, just on back to Sheedy for a second, though, and talking about that man management and treating people as individuals. Like, it's probably not a coincidence that this is the first year in about three that we're not hearing rumours about the Tipperary team or, you know... A lot of it probably nonsense, but like other things like disciplinary issues and all that. There wasn't a peep out of them all year this year. And coming from what was have such da- a have the damages been sorted out here in the hotel? <laughs> <laughs> Stop, will you? <laughs> I think, I think that's a positive. Ah, these old well, stories. You know yourself the way these things go. Yeah, you're right. Last year, um, Cahill Barrett gave a lot of time in jail, and so did Bubbles. <laughs> And uh, it was really, really difficult for them all the time to be constantly uh, beating people up and doing all mad stuff. And as Gas actually, two weeks ago, I heard the two of them served at Mass. <laughs> so it's the difference between winning and losing. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, last year in Tipperary, like, um, 
Cahill and Bubbles and the boys, like, you know, they, they were the constant focus of, you know, it's something's wrong in tip. So then everything, you know, the players then are wrong. Then the rumours start. And you can't, I was in the dressing room when all the mad rumours started, start, like, started all around about us and you start losing matches. It's just the way it is. And then when you win, but I think what Liam did day one was he put him into a structure that was really competitive, that kept their minds occupied with hurling constantly and achieving and making themselves better. And I meant to say this earlier, what Liam Sheedy does, essentially, he first of all makes you a better person. That's his skill. And then you become naturally a better hurler. Because, like, to be honest with you, in tape, we could have 35 hurlers that could be competitive enough to win in All-Ireland. But the problem is, can you get 15 to 25 of those with the temperament to win an All-Ireland and the dedication to win one? That is the difference in winners and losers. And Liam is able to sift out that kind of individual. He helps you to become better, and then you play, and your ability flourishes, and then you win, like what you, what you saw this year. No doubt, Anthony, you were delighted to see Tipperary win the Ireland this year. Thrilled, man. Yeah, thrilled. Yeah, thrilled. Yeah. And next question. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, would you be lured back into <laughs> Tipperary and Kilkenny? I was Dublin manager for six years. I, I, I hope the place blew up once I was out of it. <laughs> I was going to say, would you be lured back into, into county management now to try and stop them? No, 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 none of that. No, happy the coach with your man. That's good crack. Um, no, uh, look, it was a funny season for Hurling, really, like your teams that were being beaten, getting back in, and, and even, I mean, we got two fantastic semi-finals, and who's to say if Limerick had met Tip in the final, it could have been a different ball game, who's to say if Richie Hogan wasn't sent off, would it have been a different, and I don't think it would have been now on the day, I think Tip were really buzzing, no, it's got off to a slow start, but I think they, they just had it really for the final, they were really ready for it, they, they started the year in whirlwind, and got the business done. They weren't going to get caught in Munster again, not getting out, which is a minefield. Like, I mean, Clare started off winning in Watford. Sure, we're laughing now. Like, we've two home games and we're, we're, we've only to go into Limerick. We hadn't traveled more than 20 miles in the last three games, really. Like, you know, so, but they went all uh, pear shaped. Now, we would have wound up regaining a bit of pride by beating Cork. But um, Liam made sure he got the heavy lifting done early, I think. And, and you know, even the night of the Munster final. Limerick looked like they were a way better team than Tip. Like you'd have to say, like we were commentating on it or yeah. an analysing it or whatever you want to say, you'd say Tip couldn't beat Limerick that year. And yet, I know like a, a mutual friend of ours, Christy O'Connor, is a great goalie and you know goalkeeping coach with Galway this year. Like Christy just went in for a bit to eat in the Radisson on the way out from the match, and the Tip team happened to be there. He didn't know, but he just met him. And like the reality, that Dublin were after being beaten by Leash. And he met Liam and he said, it's, it's Leash and Wexford to get back in the All-Ireland to get another go at Limerick. And it had to be tempting. Now, Wexford, to be fair, have evolved a huge amount. You know, uh, fairness to Davy, like while he had his critics with the systems and that, I mean, I thought Wexford were, were very enjoyable to watch this year. Like, you didn't know what was going to happen next, which corner forward was going to get, a, or which corner back was going to get a goal next. Like, they were, they were attacking from every angle and defending from every angle. And I enjoyed them. And in actual fact, I think if he, they could be real contenders next year if they stick with him. And, and get that bit stronger and fitter because that game they're playing demands it's nearly Australian rules level fitness like and it probably told in coming down the stretch against Tip but uh, you know for Liam like that like when you were thinking okay the Sunday night listening to Christy saying that to you Leash and Wexford for the All-Ireland to get into the All-Ireland you're probably saying ah I'm gutted go away from me you didn't want to know about it but Liam being the guy he is and I wouldn't know him as good as, as Brendan but I've gotten to know him over the last few years a real sound bloke as well which is a Kind of, you nearly need to be a sound block as well. Like, you know, honestly, if you're a pig, you really win nothing. Honest to God, you just can't do it. Like, you won't bring the modern hurler with you. Um, but I'd say by Monday night, Liam was 
the Munster final is in the past, you know, and we're 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 going to be there uh, on the on the 18th of August this year, was it? Yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, it's yeah, he's top bloke, and once he see once he saw the chance, he seized it, and, and the players responded. And they, they were good champions, to be fair. Uh, you mentioned being on the couch there, the two of you. Um, Sunday game, I think it, it's like, oh, there's always a lot of scrutiny on um, no matter what happens. But like it's funny you mentioned the Clare and Cork game there. I think my favourite moment of the year was um, when they showed the clip at halftime in the, I think it was the Limerick and Tip you were w watching live, and they showed the clip of, uh, of uh, the manager hitting into the Cork lad. And Joanne says, that's not what you want to be seen. And... I was talking to the television at the exact same time that you said, I think that's exactly what they want to see. But yeah. um, now I understand that. Well, like, I, I was coming off, yeah. like, you know, um, great friend of mine will be Tommy Dunn, who's obviously involved with Liam. Like, I had Tommy in 13 and 14. No coincidence that we got Tommy involved in the coaching with the dubs and won the first Leinster titles in 61. Like, Tommy was superb. And I often marked Tommy. We were always on each other in those great battles we had in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. And... Uh, we became great old pals. I, I, you know, I would have rang him that night at the match and would have taken the call. You know, like that's the kind of guy he is. But um, like Tommy, is the one Sunday I was off this year. I asked for the Sunday. Like Rory said to me, Dale, what, what weekend do you want off?" And I said, "The Champions League final. Tottenham fan all my life, and Tipperary coming to Cusick Park. Lock the fucking gates. Like, <laughs> let's kill him." Jesus, talk about an anti-climax on both fronts, yeah. I tell you. It's <laughs> a disaster. But, like, there's Tommy, and he's in the field, and he's living in the field, and he's, of course, as fit as any player, nearly. And I said, would one of them hit Tommy doing a wallop or something? Like, let's get the crowd going here. Or, you know, I didn't mean kill him or anything. Just out and meet him. Mm. Like, one of the players would know, and, and, you know, he just, he's getting into giving advice. Like, I'd have been squirting water at him a bit like the the, the, the Gary mentor at the Dublin fella the other day. You know, I, I just think, like, you can shake his hand after the match and say, Tommy, you stand around for an hour and meet you for a pint. Yeah. But, like, why let's go on? Like, jeez, it must be savage. Like, and, like, clear just for the two matches against Limerick and Tip, like, our, our arch rival, Limerick would be the real arch rivals. And I suppose the rivalry in the last 25 years has built up with Tip since we were able to stand up some bit to them. Um, but like we were just lifeless in those games, and that—that's what annoyed me. Mm. And then to see Jerry O'Connor, who just yeah. resigned this week, to see Jerry getting involved there, I—I I didn't really mind. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I suppose my question was like, is there? Do you ever feel like things are becoming a little? And it's not nothing to do with the Sunday game. Like I, I understand that you have to say that's out of order. It's a red card, and it, it was both of those things. But at the same time, you need to be able to discuss the fact that that's kind of hurling and those things need to happen in one way while they should be also criticised. Yeah. I just think, I just think like, there was a bit of kind of, it's politically correct a little bit these days that it's not the you're, game. You're, you're talking there about rules. If you think about it, there's actually no real rules in hurling. Like, like, let's be honest about it, right? The ball's the size of your fist. The guys are as big as football players, right? They're moving at a rate of knots the speed of Jack McCaffrey the last day. Yeah. How in the name of God are you supposed to define a tackle when a guy's moving at that speed other than don't take the head off him? And if you do hit him, don't let the hurley break. Because if you're in front of a ref <laughs> with a broken hurley in your hand going, oh, I didn't do it, ref, honestly. Like, he's going, come on, will you? Unless, so, it's, the, unless it's the National League. Unless the league. Oh, yeah, you're softening lads up in the league, all right? Walk, but you'll walk in the league. But, Brendan, we spent the last three weeks nearly arguing about whether Tommy w or whether um, Richie Hogan's elbow or his shoulder hit Cottle Barrett in the, in the face and the whole thing's happening at 100 miles an hour. Cottle Barrett stops dead as he's running in for shoulder. Like, can we not just say maybe it's a red card and not, like, 
Do you know what I'm saying? I feel like we people. Did. people <laughs> yeah, we did actually. But, we did. <laughs> but, but people are just. No, what I'm saying, it is a red card. But like, I feel like people are forensically analysing something that's happening in a way that you can't forensically analyse. You know? Well, we are. I think that's the expectation. I think when we go on to the, the Sunday game or any television program, obviously Sky Sports, Monday Night Football, is probably when people sit down, especially the younger generation, would say, are going, this is what we want to see here now. So you slow things down. And when you slow something down frame by frame, it looked like Richie Hope was coming in out of MMA that he was coming from the corner of the octagon to try to kill, which he wasn't. It was mistimed. He put out the elbow. He struck him the side of the head with the elbow. As far as I was concerned on the night, yes, it was a red card, and that's it. You, you move on. But then you, you start to see, I think, too, you're trying to be impartial on this. Me from tip was difficult on the night. You're trying to look at it from other angles then and say, well, you know, maybe in the spirit of the game and we're all God's children and all that kind of stuff. But as they say in Tip Town rules, is rules like you know and if it's a high it tackle it was 82,396 people in the stadium and 82,393 could see it was a red but Brian Cody Jackie Terrell and Henry Shefflin couldn't Henry see Shefflin it <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and then it was the same last week except everyone except for Joe Brawley and Kieran Whelan yeah well and I, you know I was right behind that actually at the football match sorry for taking a football ticket it was a freebie in one of them boxes we had a good old day <laughs> the replay the hurling final was on in the box <laughs> I met Mark Shea in one of those boxes actually there. <laughs> no look um, I, you know yeah I thought Cooper was going to walk actually you know because it seemed to me to be persistent the Hogan thing honest to God like you had the day to be looking at it, and then you go back in the night time, right? Now, you know when you're on live, we've been on live often enough. Like it's, and like Joanne, that's what Joanne has brought to us. Michael would probably say, it's hard done by enough there. Do you know? <laughs> but like Joanne won't, she will question, that's what she has brought. I suppose Michael is a legend, and he was always and will be the Sunday game to us. But I think that's what Joanne, she won't let you away with anything. Like, you, you, she won't say, but sure, how could, it's a red card. It was a red card in February. Why is it not a red card, I'll learn? It's kind of ruining the game, Joanne, you know. <laughs> and Jesus, look at All-Ireland, but it's a bad All-Ireland in tip, win it by 14 points. Like, you know, I ruined it. Like, Jackie was saying that that night, like, you know, and I was saying, Jackie, will you go away? <laughs> he actually, he said that Carl dived, and he was... <laughs> in terrorist term, he, he did dive. Dived, yeah. He did, like, it was like, do you remember that rugby player come off spitting all that fake blood and all? Just like the tip guy came in and sprayed him with red paint and said, look, stay down, you know. But look, that's the, that's the passion, you know. We come from, it's gas, like, we come from, we'll say, being on the pitch, where you say you have a healthy respect for the opposition, but behind it all, you hate him, you want to take the head off him, right? I gave years below in Cork, we used to play each other, and like if we came, out, if we if we came if we came out of the tunnel together, like to be apps, we wouldn't get one start. Like when we played Clare, they had to line us up for the national anthem in the parade. <laughs> Because standing side by side wasn't a runner like. Cause there was we no shaking it. hands before. There was no. You put out your hand and a clear fella, clear fella would cut it off you. <laughs> like, you had to shake hands, boom, like that. You know, and that's that's the breed that we come from. So when we do the analysis part of it, that animal feeling is still inside you because you're passionate about the crowd you're playing. You're for the, the crowd you're playing for, and you want to beat the crowd you're playing. So I mean, that comes out through us. Like my first night on the Sunday game, I, and they don't really give you much training or anything. You kind of sink or swim. Like that was a bit of a shock. You didn't to get me. the training course, no. No, no. Well, Jeez, I gave months of the the that's the, f the new fancy machine you have now yeah, that yeah. you're drawing all the oaks and all it. <laughs> but when I was there, the presenter at the time was Pat Spillane. Oh my God, like, picture that, Mark. Uh, uh, John Bow Hurland. So, my very first night, 
my very first night, well, that was the one thing we did have over him, like, what you know about hurling, like. Uh, but my very first night, who was I on with, Don LaGrady, who had managed Cork in 04, and I had been the clear manager 04, 04, 04, 05, and 06. And this is the Munster semi final in 07. And Cork and Clare, the healthy rivalry built up over those few years, you know. And it was the day they came down the tunnel together, and all the little uh, lads playing the primary game were waving the flags. Now, I was captain of Clare eight years, and I never saw the opposition in the tunnel. I never saw them. They just weren't let out at the same time. They'd leave the door closed until they were gone out. But whoever let them out down the tunnel at the same time, and someone said something to someone, mm. and the flaking started, like... And I had four hours to think about this, and I was nervous enough about it anyway. So we watch our bit of highlights, as you do, live, and Pat turns to me, and little beads of sweat forming here <laughs> on my forehead, like... And before we just came back on live, he said, you're sweating up in the paddock, Anthony. Next <laughs> a fucking million, Pat. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it comes back, like, you know, Grady's an old pro at this stuff. Like, oh, Grady's been on it as long as I can remember. And uh, he comes, Anthony, you can't condone that. <laughs> I sure, Jesus, Pat. I said I was captain of Clare for eight years, never saw. But, like, oh, my God, talk about a baptism of fire <laughs> at that level. And you're not really trained for it, you know? You... You sink or swim, and I was terrible on the night. Actually, I was absolutely terrible, and I was staying in the, they put you up if you want on the night, and I used to kind of enjoy the Sunday nights. I was working for myself, and that's probably one of the businesses probably went down the drain. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it's no. a counselling <laughs> session on the couch. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. We, we were staying in the Burlington, and my brother, Martin, who, who would be great, uh, old mentor of mine now in lots of ways, and, and likewise, I'd like to think, but uh, he'd obviously watched it in the local and powers, and everyone was saying, she's still was awful nervous, like, you know. Jesus, like, yeah. So I went down to the bar. There was no one staying anyway. Grady wasn't staying, or else he was flying back to Cork in the morning, so he'd be going straight to bed. And none of the football lads were staying, and they were on second, as, as is right. Make a fair play. You got that right again tonight. Um, <laughs> but next thing, I had a mobile, and Matt, like, it was this, this is 2007, we all mobiles, of course. Martin rings anyway, and he's freaking nicely, of course, because he's at the match, and he's after having, and he says, well, how are things? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I said, all right, yeah. How did that go? He said, you're telling me you weren't watching it, like? And uh, I was in I was in powers. I couldn't really hear it, like, I could see it, like, was sure I, he knew it. I said, look, it was shocking. Yeah, I was watching it, all right. He says, oh, Jesus. <laughs> look at he says, I'm half steam now. He says, but the best bit of advice I could give you there is come off that thing unless you're going to be the way you are blowing powers after a county semi-final, holding court and telling everyone where it went wrong and went right. And you know what? That's the best bit. I, I thought about it driving home Monday, had a few beers, and I said, you know what? The next night I'm going on that, I'm just going, I'm going to be myself, warts and all. And I'd like to think, you know, I went off with Dublin then for a sick, but when I went back, I said, look, either take me or leave me. I don't, I'm not going cutting the shite out of players. I'm not going doing what Joe does at times in the football scene. I just don't agree with that, like, that Sean Cavanagh's not a man. As for Sean Cavanagh being a man, you can forget about that. I mean, that's, that's one of the most incredible statements, like, you know, one of the best footballers of our generation, you know. So, I mean, what defender in Ireland wouldn't have done what Sean Cavanagh did there? I, I, he certainly wouldn't be on my team for the next game if he didn't do it. Uh, Brendan, you were on uh, a Sunday game panel that got a lot of reaction. Were you as baffled as the rest of us, but <laughs> Don Loke started uh, blaming imperialism on... Uh, I knew this <laughs> is going to come up. Up. <laughs> I was thinking about what might come up and coming up, driving up from Clare. I said, this is going to come up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was an awkward one, because 
<coughs> when I'm on, I have a bit of a, a tell, which means if, if somebody beside me is talking on the, on the telly when I'm on, I have an awful habit of going nodding like that, because inside my head I'm going, I understand, I understand, I understand. So all the time people were saying, what are you doing? I was going, don't nod. People <laughs> will think you're agreeing, don't nod. So I was like keeping the stone face as I could, because before we went on, the lads had kind of said roughly kind of where they were going to go with it, like, and I thought, he's never going to say that. Like, and he did, the colonialism came out anyway. <laughs> And uh, that would do what's sending him over this week, couldn't they? To sort out the last bit remnants of colonialism <laughs> over there at the moment. Good, he could be Boris a secret weapon. But what you call it? Yeah, it was. It was a bit like, and in fairness too, like, it was Derek's kind of first time in a in a heated conversation, we'll call it. And he had that experience you had, where some television is kind of awkward. If you get really comfortable with it, it'll burn you like because you start to talk and forget what you're saying and forget there's probably six or 700,000 people glued to it, ready with Twitter like that to blow you up, right? So I think he got extremely comfortable that night. He, he was a, it was a big lesson for him. You know, like, I mean, in the Sunday game, no one wants to see me bringing off the saves I did or letting in the soft goals 20 years ago. They just want to hear what we want you to do now. But the advice I got one time was, if you've not, if you've nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. And I used that advice, and thankfully, it took me over a bit of a hole, I think, on the, on the night. Anyway. It was incredible. It was incredible. And you did, you did well, now, in fairness. <laughs> I'll give it to you straight out. <laughs> a I silent said. movie. I, I was the there middle. waiting to see what were you going to say, you know. What could I say, I, I know, know but, in fair, but in fairness... <laughs> All I was thinking was that I have pieces to show people actually what happened in the match. Yeah. And I'm not going to get to show them. And I gave about two hours, as you know, sitting down with somebody at a Piero machine, which puts the lights and the circles on things and all that, trying to show them what I wanted to do. And there was a flashy big telly and iPad. I was mad to get stuck into that. So I was stuck in the middle you know, of this, this year, no, I, I've been doing kind of podcasts for the Irish Examiner, you know. So you have to be down there first thing um, Monday morning. So they put you up down there on a the Sunday night. And we're in Crow Park. I'm on live. And I'd love to watch the Sunday game, you know, uh, because then you don't want to talk about whatever the boys have talked about on the podcast. Because you're trying to bring something fresh to the thing, like, so So I'm rushing down, like, and I just, I literally, the shirt, I the tie off, and I'm still in this kind of like this with the suit on, and I get down, I'm sitting in the bed, get up to the room, and the match is on, so then no analysis on yet. And I just... And the texts start coming in from some of the rest of the... Are you watching this? <laughs> you know? And I just... What I was thinking of was... If I'm from Carrigan Shore, let's say... From Ardfinan, let's say... And I get out of Crow Park and I'm stuck in the M50... And I don't even stop, stop for a burger or a sandwich... And the kids are roaring... Because I want to see the Sunday game... And, I, and Tipper after coming from five points down... With 14 men to beat Wexford who were rampant... And reached the All-Ireland final... And I'm going down saying, this is going to be a great viewing tonight. I'm listening in. The boy's getting carried away with the Wexford system for 15 minutes. Like, and and uh, I just didn't think it was appropriate on the night. And I think, I think both the lads would acknowledge that it went, it just went too far on the night. Like, it, it should have been the story. The narrative should have been about Tipperary's comeback and how did they win it. Mm. And yes, for the first 20 minutes, or 15 anyway, we listened to this stuff. And that was, it was probably a fair point. Well, I don't know about the colonialism thing, but the rest of the sweeper, but it was bad time and it was like everybody was on a, on a high near the Yeah, but I think too, with the sweeper thing, like that conversation for me has come and gone. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, people sit back with a number six who tries to sit in the pocket with Hell's defender, call it what you like, but every team, if 10, 11 and 12 from both sides meet in the middle of the pitch, and whichever 10, 11, and 12 win that battle, that allows the number six of their team to sit back a little bit to protect their full back line. End of story. Kilkenny this year against Cork, the first 12 and a half minutes of that match, Kilkenny didn't win the half-hour line battle. 
the inside Kilkenny backline and Murphy got absolutely riddled by Cadigan and Patrick Hogan. It was embarrassing. It was like putting minors in against under-12s, right? When the ball comes in right, you haven't a hope. They will absolutely clean you. So that's why I think teams do sit somebody back. But for me, that conversation is well over and done with now at this stage. Lads, we're here tonight for uh, to launch uh, the Sports Direct Clubhouse on Balls.ie. Like, we're kicking into that time of year now where I know, Anthony, you've got Kilmacode out tomorrow in the championship. Everyone's back to their club. Do you feel like it doesn't get enough, or does it get enough attention or enough conversation in the GA world around this time of year? Yeah, well, let's say it's improving, you know, with social media anyway, certainly. And I know RTA plans to show games as well. I know TG Carr obviously a first call on what games, but RTA plans to show games, which will probably bring club games now Saturday night and... Uh, Sunday free to air into your living room, so which is which is great, really, you know. Um, and I think there, there's there'll be more and more interest, and uh, just up to the county boards, I think, to be willing to let in the because it might take away a bit from your attendance. And I know some county boards, uh, it wouldn't mightn't be great in Clare for letting in, you know, they'd be afraid they'd lose a few hundred at the gate, like you know. Uh, I don't know, I think it's great, I think you know, because but look, still, the. We still have to get, you know, I know we're experimenting with the hurling and we'd say it's a huge success in the two years with the Round Robin and Munster and, and Leinster. Kind of like we have two conferences now, whereas the football still has a whole pile of stuff that lads, you know, the Ulster lads wouldn't be happy with Munster and, and they wouldn't be happy with Leinster, Dublin having a cakewalk and Connacht is a battle as well every year. Like so, but in, we have it fairly right in the hurling, but yet this April thing hasn't worked. Like we play two matches in April with Kilmacud and we play again tomorrow. And we knew, I think, the day of the 17th of April, we were out the 7th of September at half three in Parnell Park. Or not Parnell Park, O'Toole Park tomorrow. Mm. We were <laughs> That's when you're playing again, lads. <laughs> now, the one thing about that is lads at least could go away and book, uh, you know, a lot of them went to the States, the younger lads, and be back by the 10th of August, me being the manager, and still the county lads came back around the 20th of August, of course. <laughs> you know, like, but look... I don't know. I think Clare might have it right. You know, Clare didn't start their championship until the Clare teams were gone. Now, if it, if it meant that the Clare hurlers got to the All-Ireland, which they almost did last year, you might be starting a little bit, you know, behind this, the, the eight ball. But with the Clare system, you have two chances. You, you have a first round and you go into a loser's group. If you lose that, you're out. And like I played championship in Clare for 19, 20 years and, and for... 12 or 14 of those years, it was straight knockout. Yeah. You know, and the Clare team were probably beaten in May and you could be gone, gone in June. There was a lot of good weekends, I tell you, in La Hinch and Kilkee and places like that. Yeah, yeah, so, that was, like, I mean, things haven't changed all that much either. Like, but You even mentioned, like, you know, the in, in the local pub, kind of analysing the game after it. And, like, that is, they're the stories that people tell and they're the things that are closest to the heart. But I suppose they're not the stories we always tell up here either you know it's like it, it is kind of sometimes worth reminding people that the club is the the key and the center of all GEA careers oh, sure, look there's no doubt about it like the, the club is a bedrock I mean there's times like I'd have always thought that there's if you're good enough your county will want you but your club will always be there because the county will bin you at some stage and when that happens then you go back to your club and that's the key like you know and I mean that's from a small parish where I come from you know, the, the club is huge. Like, we had our heroes, like, we'd, we had Babs, you know, and he was the one we all, I suppose, looked up to over the years, and he was come down. There was a huge store around that's the parish. That's a great Dr. Phil would say, how's that working? You're saying Babs? That's working. Uh, well, we're not really talking at the moment, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's another council session, Mr. Tom, of my childhood. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... You can I mean, lie on the couch if you want, but, I'd ask the question. No, no he used to rub 
in my head again. It'll get <laughs> awkward. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you, you know, you, you, you again, it's where it all starts. And, and the volunteers, like Jody Spooner was the guy who came into our club and revolutionised our club, really. We had my, my, my dad, John English, and Eamon Gorham were the three old lads. John English was the man who's always got down the line. And there's one in every club. He'd have about 30 hurlies under his arm and one in the top. And he'd be bit, bang, bang, bang up and down the line like a, like a drum, you know what I mean? And like, as a youngster, you could feel the passion coming off of them. But it was all over the place. There was no real set train or anything like that. Then Jody Spooner arrived in. The club saw that we need to get somebody down. He was one of the games development officers at the time, whatever they called it. So they got him in anyway, and he did a couple of training sessions with us. And he actually showed the lads how to coach kids and all. You know, with the father more in there, number ones and number twos, God rest them. So those kind of things have a huge impact, I think, on, on kids. You get good enough to play, but the club is absolutely central. And first to TJ Cahar and uh, AIB came in, sponsored the club championship, like the toughest and all that kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's absolutely vital that when you have a club that's having a bit of success, we had a run in a junior hurling. We got to junior hurling Munster final with Ballybacon. I was only two games away from playing in Crow Park again. And that was the crack going down the bus, like, you know, now we got the lifebed out of us in the final, right? But um, that was the crack going down the bus the Saturday before. We went down to, we played it in Mallow. We went down the Saturday before it. A couple of lads were saying, well, the game beyond the telly, what's going on? This kind of thing was going on. And we had fellas, like, you know, who had maybe never been in Crow Park in the club. Said, jeez, I could be playing in Crow Park now, like, you know, and this kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's huge when you get on a roll. Yeah. They're like, you know, I was, I was lucky. I, I came along with the Clarecastle. We won two minors and went on to a successful senior team. They won the two seniors that those two years, and we had great times. Like we'd one manager, Jack Maloney, Pat Jack Maloney, would have managed us for five championships. Like and like he wouldn't have been getting involved in the intricacies of the, of the coaching or anything like that. But by Jesus, if you were drinking, <laughs> you know, like and like we we're coming out waving this year. Like I can guarantee, Lauren, Lauren is hoping that Fecal will be in the county final. But I can gar- give you one guarantee, Lauren, Clarecastle will be in the county final because we're coming out waving from '94, 25 years. I'm leading them out, my my boys. We'll be doing a couple of nights down around Killarney or somewhere. I, I, I letting the boys know, and already we have a WhatsApp group or is right a WhatsApp or group. <laughs> but like I'll never forget that con- that county final. We we had two brothers, two Scanlans. Um, one guy, Bernard, was about 23 or four at this stage, and he'd been on the team for a few years, and he was affectionately known as Ballard. Good guys played with Claire afterwards, and Danny, his younger brother, was just coming out of minor. Danny would have played in that famous trilogy with Offaly in '98, you know. And uh, but Jack wouldn't really know these fellas, you know. He was manager, but like he'd know a plenty, like, but he wouldn't be letting on he was clued in. And sure, just a brilliant character, you know. He'd come out and stuff and calling out the team for the county final on the Saturday night. And two touch a go positions, maybe you know, went maybe a corner back or a wing back, and maybe a corner forward. And he, he like our two goalies. Noel Considine, who's with Wexford now, and Tommy Hagerty, who's with Clare, and they're both in the backroom staffs. Like, they were desperate rivals, like, for goal. And, like, he'd call it out, and it would be Noel Considine in goal, maybe, and we'd all know he'd been goal. Fair idea, anyway. In the goal, Hagerty. And every eye in the room would turn to Noel Considine, and he'd redden up, like, and he, oh, sorry, Considine, you're in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> but one, one, con- one county, finally, he called it out like this. Uh, Ballard was one corner forward, and Danny was in the other. Full forward, Sparra, he says. One Connor Ballard, Dunner Connor, Dunner Ballard. And like, they're the, <laughs> so they're, the, they're the mad things. I don't remember much of the 94 county final, but I remember the Saturday night in the sports complex listening to the team being called out, like saying, yeah. Jesus, what kind of a fruitcake of a manager have we? Like, <laughs> he doesn't know your man's name, Connor Ford, but by God, he, he, he knew how to discipline us and he knew what he was dealing with and having us right, you know. Great, great. 
great memories and great yeah. guys, you know. Hard to replace them, as Brendan said. Yeah, what it's all about. Listen, we've uh, gone way over time. We could talk all night, but we'd be here till midnight, I suppose. We better let you go and get the football lads up. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Daly and Brendan Cummins. Yeah.